Welcome to the Focus on Why podcast. I'm Amy Rowlandson and I ask my guests one simple question, why? Focusing on the importance of why, I share with you the relatable, uplifting and inspiring conversations I have with people from all walks of life. This podcast will encourage you to focus on your why to enable and empower you to achieve the success you desire. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why. Before we start, I would like to draw your attention to what I can offer you as a master coach. I can help you to focus on your why with clarity, uniting your passion with your purpose with a plan to create the life you truly desire. Book a free 20 minute coaching call right now via calendly.com forward slash Amy Rowlandson forward slash call and we can take it from there. Today on Focus on Why, I am joined by the wonderful Jenny de St. George. Welcome. Thank you, Amy. It is a real pleasure to have you here and a pleasure to have met you in person, having many Zoom calls over the lockdown period and then meeting you in person last year in Dublin at the fabulous GSS. And then also again, just very recently in London. So a huge pleasure. And then here we are back into the Zoom boxes. Oh, well, the pleasure is all mine. Yes, it was literally last Saturday. I did not expect to see you there. So that was a uh an added bonus to attending the PSA meeting. Fabulous. So what is it you're doing at the moment? Okay. Um, I just got off a plane from Dubai, which is the second time I've been speaking there um, in the last five months. Having never been to Dubai, I really did not know what to expect. Um, In this particular conference, and I have two markets, and I'll just make this very brief but so the listener can understand As a creative person, I'm focused on two markets. One is I teach dental practice management to the dental profession, which means I fly around the world teaching dentists and their staff everything they need to know to be successful outside their clinical area of expertise, which is not my forte. And then in my other life, which I absolutely adore, is I love working with entrepreneurs and small business owners and um, and speakers, both emerging and professional, on how to build and create and expand their speaking business. Because honestly, I hate to admit it, I'm most probably into my fifth decade of being on stage. Um, and the reason I bring this up is that um, the visit to Dubai last week was culturally very interesting. It was the largest dental conference and exhibition in the world. They had 53 speakers of only seven were women. And of the 53 speakers, I was the only one without any degrees or initials after my name. And so I say that because um, I'm very creative and I'm an entrepreneur and uh, I didn't go to college Uh, at the age of 16. I left school and was told, you know, college is not for you. And yet I closed these big international meetings and I'm the only person without a single degree. So I'm saying that to any listeners as I used to be totally threatened, Amy, that I had not gone to college. I didn't have a degree in this. And I do not feel that a bunch of letters after your name should be allowed to intimidate you, which it has for me for many years. And one more comment I'd like to make, the uh, the meeting in Dubai, their graciousness um, 
in handling me as the speaker was wonderful. And for three times, they sent me an email saying, we seem to have missed the email with your degrees. We need that uh, for our website. You know, you're the only speaker that's not provided this. Could you please send us the information? And so on the third email, I thought, how can I basically tell them I don't have it? So I just wrote back. I said, I appreciate your request. My degree is acquired through the School of Hard Knocks, exclamation mark. And I noticed that the email stopped after that and everything was fine. Oh, my goodness. Honestly, it's so it's so interesting that you bring this up because there is this desire for identity and to have that ability to feel as though you belong in a particular area or that you're qualified to speak about something and or be that person in, in that particular field of expertise. And here you are saying that after all this time, those letters or those lack of letters do not intimidate you, that you have a huge amount of experience and knowledge that has come through the alternative school of hard knocks what is it that you could particularly share along that journey that allowed you to be free of the intimidation i think that that is actually a brilliant question and i'll tell you why and my brand in both markets actually is um and i'm very comfortable telling audiences this now is i have an opinion on absolutely everything um, so I come across as being rather dogmatic and, and maybe um, inflexible. I'm actually the most flexible person around. Um, my whole basis is common sense and logic. So if somebody comes up with a logical reason as to their approach is better than mine, I will turn on a dime. So to go back to your question, um, and I preface it by saying what I've just said, because what I'm going to say sounds pretty brutal, but I truly believe it, that that maybe 10% of the world are creative. And I'm thinking very much in the speaking, um, maybe speaking business a little, and about 90% in the old days, Amy, we'd call it plagiarism. Today, uh, we're a little bit polite, polite, so I may call it repurposing. but the, the greatest gift I could give to, to the listeners today is if you are a creative person, please build on that. You cannot teach creativity. I think you either have it or you don't. Um, and if you have it, please take time and gain the confidence because nobody can duplicate you. And I remember many years ago when I started in the speaking business and I was at a big conference and I looked into the audience and there were several of my, um, they were friends and acquaintances, but at the end of the day, Amy, they were competition. And I saw them all day taking notes because I'm very practical and very bottom line. So I'm watching them take notes all day and I think, what you know, they're pinching my stuff. And so at the end of the day, I was actually quite depressed and I was sitting in the bar with a world famous speaker who actually became a mentor to me. And Phil looked at me and said, Jenny, they can take your stuff, but they can't take you. They cannot take your sense of humor. They cannot take the way you think on the feet and the way you relate to audiences. So basically, get over it. And um, it was a good lesson. We, 
We just need to have faith in ourselves. And so creativity to me is a gift. Um, I'm not sure we can control it, but if we have it, please accept it with open arms. And I'm really curious about the creativity element because I believe that we all have the ability to be creative, but we don't have the patience to take our time to to learn, to explore, to to be curious about what it is that we may be creative with. How do you feel about that? I think this is my own personal opinion. I have no scientific background to it. Um, It would seem to me there are two kinds of creativity. One is instinctive and one is most probably more learned in a template format. Uh, Some years ago, I was speaking at at a large private study club and uh, eight dentists had brought me in to speak to about 800 staff and other dentists. And the night before at dinner, he gave the senior dentist gave me um, a present. And when I unwrapped the present, it was the book. And I'm embarrassed I should have remembered the author, but it was called Blink. It became a very famous book. And as he handed it to me, he said, Jenny, the one person in the world who doesn't need to read this book is you because you are so instinctive. So I bought it for you so you don't have to go and buy it. And so if one has an innate instinctiveness, one needs to develop it. Now, that doesn't take away from the people who might sit at a computer and say, today I'm going to create a new talk or a new program or a new product, whatever. That is, it's just not my style. Um, I keep a notepad with me at all times. I wake up in the middle of the night with ideas. I may be in the bath or honestly on the toilet. You never know where the brain is going to take you and you just have to capture it because if you think I'll remember it again tomorrow, you will not. No, I love that. And I think it's it's Malcolm Gladwell who wrote Blink. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's a, it's a great book. It's about thinking without thinking and the choices that follow such thinking. So you're right. You have to capture it. Otherwise, you can't explore that thought that you've had or that idea or that concept. So do you believe that having not gone to college or university and pursuing your own pathway in life has allowed you to be more creative because you haven't had any stifling of particular other schools of thought? I mean, if I had sat and thought of some questions to ask you for you to ask me, which I would never have presumed, you are almost asking the right questions because um, I had been a part-time speaker for nine years and then I joined the National Speakers Association um, in 1983. And I'm glad I, and that's, that was the month and the year I went full-time as a career speaker. And I was very pleased, Amy, that I had taken nine years to develop my own personality and my own approach. Because when I joined such a professional speakers association, I found that the newbies or the emerging speakers were almost sitting in the audience trying by osmosis to get inside the body of the speakers. And I found that they began to put on what I call that speaker's voice when they went on stage. And it was like, oh, I need to do it that way to be successful. And um, then we ended up with a lot of little carbon copies. And I, I thought that was very sad. 
And the greatest compliment, and actually it's the number one testimonial on my website, is when people come up to me and say, Jenny, you're just the same on stage as you are off stage. And it, that almost brings me to the tears because what they're saying is what they see is what they get. You know, the good, bad, and the warts and whatever. I do not change. My voice doesn't change. My demeanor doesn't change. And so um, I think the word authentic is so overused these days. Uh, I mean, I want to throw up every time I hear somebody use the word authentic. I wish I could find another word. But I, I think the most important thing in your branding is to be genuinely the same person in whatever hat or whatever role you are in. And why would you say that it brings you to tears when you get receive a compliment like that? Because that tells me that they 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 see me, you know, with all the foibles and and all the limitations, and they still accept me. And in fact, one of the things I've learned being on stage is the more you can share with the audiences the the screw ups and and where I went wrong. And oh, do you remember? When we do this, this is how I learned not to do it because I did that way. Um, I learned that to share your your shortcomings as well as your um, triumphs and successes um, allows the audience to to even move closer to you. So that that's something you learn with time. So this relationship that you have with speaking, you you talked about just then about feeling accepted and then building relationships. Is it lonely being a speaker? Uh, there was a period of my life, and as I sit here talking to you, it makes me exhausted to think about it, but there was a period of my life for 15 years when I was on the road 225 days a year. Um, and I had a, a corporate staff of seven, and I had eight consultants implementing the JDSG method in dental practices. And all the stories you hear, um, you wake up in the middle of the night and walk into the wall because the bathroom was in the other hotel last night. Um, I tried to, three times to check into the wrong hotel because I was not in the city I thought I was. But I was lucky in my second marriage. David II, my second late husband, uh, was a dentist. And within a few weeks, and we may or may not talk about that story, he sold his practice and he came and ran my business. So we traveled together. So David took over the running of my business. He he ran the corporation, allowing me to do what I did best. And um, he traveled with me and was available at the back of the room to um, what I would say to you is sell product. But to the audience, I would say it's uh, take home Jenny um, training programs. I love that. So yes, it's probably the answer at some point and then no to being lonely on the road. Yes. Uh, now, now I'm back traveling by myself and I actually enjoy my own company. So, um, you, you know, when, when you fly on a long flight, people say, oh, that must be awful. And to me, getting on a plane to um, Singapore or Australia or Johannesburg, I just call that room service in the sky. That's not the, the the tiring part. It's flying, you know, from San Francisco to Chicago to North Carolina. It's those short trips that drive me crazy. Long trips, I I, I sort of love. 
So tell me, with all this travel, with all this speaking, with all these audiences, where does the purpose fit in for you? If I may tell you a very short story, which I think will um, give you what, when I, and this actually happened last Saturday when you and I were in the same room, um, a PSA, Professional Speakers Association of the UK. And um, I was sitting next to an emerging speaker. Um, she just recently joined our profession. And so as one does, we most probably ask it too, too early in the conversation. What do you speak on? And uh, there was sort of silence while she actually thought about what she spoke on. And then she gave me a few words, none of which were coherent to me as to what she was speaking on. So I interviewed her and I worked out what she was speaking on. So I said, OK, I think this is what you're speaking on. I gave her a sentence. She wrote it down. I, I checked a website later that day. It was already on the website. So I think what, to me, what motivates, whether it's an entrepreneur or a small business owner or a speaker uh, or a consultant, it, it's so overused, but I truly believe it, and that's passion. Now, in the dental world, when I'm being picked up in the old days, you know, they sent the host picture up at the airport. And I think those days to some degree have gone, but they'd always say to you, how did you become a speaker? And my answer never changed in any other world, except for the speaking world. I said, long story. I'm not about to share the story with them. I'm going to share with you and your listeners. And I thought if I could just take a couple of minutes to share this with your listeners, it will maybe give people permission because I'm a risk taker. So for many years, I ran our dental practice uh, with my first husband, my first late husband. Um, and it ended up by being very successful. But there was one thing most human beings do not like doing, Amy, and that's asking people to pay the bill. So when the patient would come to the front desk, I would quake in my shoes as to how I could professionally ask people to pay and did not do a very good job. So um, we got a flyer in the mail for a San Francisco program, which was how to ask patients to pay. And it was to healthcare. So I sent my $100 in, drove up to the city, and there was everybody from the healthcare. There were vets and chiropractors and physicians and dentists, you name it, hospitals. So at the end of the day, and there were about um, about 300 people in the room, and we'd all paid our $100. And at the end of the day, I asked where the owner was, and I was introduced to him. And I said, um, I'd like a full refund. And he said, excuse me? I said, I'd like my money back. He said, why do you want your money back? And I said, because the speaker was bad and her information was wrong. Uh, and after Lance sort of picked himself up and looked at me and he said, have you ever spoken before? And I said, no, never, never been on stage, never spoken in my life. He said, do you think you could do any better than she did? And forgive me for the choice of words, but this is exactly what I said to him. I said, I sure as hell couldn't do any worse. So he looked at me and he said, why don't we exchange business cards, which we did. He said, I'll give you a call in three or four weeks. So I walked out of the uh, meeting room to the lobby of the hotel. I was going to see Baryshnikov that, that uh, night at the Opera House. So for three hours, I took a pad and I wrote the way I would organize a full day program if I were doing it. 
And then I put his card and I put it to one side. And after six weeks, the man hadn't called me. So I took $10,000 out of my bank account. I booked a hotel, paid the deposit, bought a mailing list of 8,000 dentists in the San Francisco Bay Area, designed the flyer, designed the program, put it in the mail, and about 130 people walked through the door paying, I think it was $129, having never spoken in my life. So I read the script for about 45 minutes and realized this made no sense at all. So threw my script away and just spoke from the heart. And at the end of the day, all these people walked up and said, how come we've never heard from you or of you before? This information is wonderful. Well, of course, <laughs> I'd never done it. And for the next 10 years, Amy, I booked hotels throughout the States. I would put 10 cities on one flyer, fly in, take care of sales and catering and do everything. And that's how I. So why did I do it? Because I felt that our profession was not being served with what I perceived was practical quality information. Long answer to the to the question, but I think for, for entrepreneurs, and so if I may make one more comment. So if I'm, particularly if I'm with speakers and I say to, to somebody, what do you speak on? And they say, I haven't decided yet. Or I want to speak to people about people or some other weird thing. I have been known to say, well, I suggest you keep your day job. Because if you don't have a passion that's going to get you on stage, the audience will pick it up in a second. Well, I love, I love what you just shared. And the reason I love what you just shared is because you said you spoke from the heart that you threw your script away. And that speaking from the heart is, is the connection that you clearly are able to form with anybody you have. Having met you, I know that from being in person with you. I haven't seen you on stage, but I can hear right now the passion you have. And I want to pick on the risk-taking element because you said you were a risk-taker and you sort of threw that away as a bit of a comment, but I don't think that's a throwaway thing. I think that's quite a big part of who you are. I am a recovering perfectionist and my audiences will ask me, uh, what's a recovering perfectionist? I said, it's a perfectionist who at least acknowledges their sickness. The rest of you, because I deal so much with dentists, they are by nature perfectionists because they're working in such a small field. I said a perfectionist is somebody who's in denial. At least I acknowledge it. But coming with perfectionism, and this is a subject I actually speak on for about an hour, the second word that comes with perfectionism is procrastination. And so perfectionists, we have a problem with procrastination. And Amy, we also have a problem with wanting to make it perfect. I was doing a Meet the Pros, which, as you know, is a roundtable of 10, 10 attendee speakers to a speaker presenting, uh, and it could go on for 20, 30 minutes. And I was doing it on product. And I said, how many of the 10 people around me have product, whether it's a book, um, a cassette, a digital download, whatever? about one person put their hand up. So I looked at the other nine and I said, and how many of you have been designing and writing and creating a product for some time? And they all put their hand up because they always felt it wasn't good enough. 
And so one of the problems with entrepreneurs is, is that fine line is how perfect does perfect have to be? And there is a saying, obviously created by a non-perfectionist because it, it drives me crazy. They say something is better than nothing. And 80% of something is better than 100% of nothing. And I appreciate that, but they also have to realize that when we put something out that does not meet our standards, we could damage our brand. So it's a happy medium between being a risk taker and making that leap of faith that maybe it's not going to be perfect compared to having perfection uh, literally paralyze us. And so uh, for those of us in the creative world, we are constantly fighting this demon yeah I, I i understand and that desire to be perfect inhibits so much of the creativity you were speaking about earlier as well and where people who have got these ideas but then don't take them through to fruition because they are scared of them for whatever reason it could be imposter syndrome it could be as you say the 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 sort of paralysis of of being perfect in in whatever they've done but from from your perspective you overcame that to deliver a talk that you threw the script away I mean this is going back as you said right to the beginning you throw the script away now when you're putting together something and you're you're speaking from the heart the script is there because it's it's been inside for so long correct and and um, you bring up something I didn't know whether I'd bring up, but again, your question is is on point. I do not use PowerPoint, so for several reasons. And so when I walk onto the stage in Dubai last week, I've got 500 people in the room, and I've got the biggest screen behind me, Amy, I have ever seen in my entire life. Right, welcome to Dubai, and here's Jenny looking like an ant on this huge stage with this big screen behind and every speaker, 52 other speakers, we're all using PowerPoint. And I turn up and I often give a, 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 an outline so the audience actually knows where I'm going. And for logistical reasons, it didn't happen. And I have to say for about the first five minutes, I was almost paralyzed thinking I must look like a, a, a minute ant in this great big thing. But why I don't use PowerPoint is because I like to relate to the audience. And so for those people who are listening, uh, your listeners, is don't use PowerPoint for the sake of using PowerPoint. If you are a clinician, a physician or a dentist and you're showing x-rays and outcomes, perfect reason to use PowerPoint. But to put two bullets on a screen and have it there for two hours and not refer to it once I mean, I'm usually off the stage. I was not off the stage in Dubai because I had hired a wonderful videographer and he was actually videoing me. But I'm the person who's off the stage. And if I see somebody uh, shaking their head, like I've made a point they don't agree with, I walk up to them and say, you know, let's talk about it. So I find it hard to talk about communication if one is reading the computer or reading the script. and then. As an attendee, if I'm watching a speaker and I attended a, a, a seminar a couple of days ago, 
and everybody used PowerPoint. So I'm watching the speaker, I'm reading the PowerPoint, and invariably they do not stay connected to the PowerPoint. So the PowerPoint has a whole different message to what they're saying. Um, I'm then writing it down. And in some cases, Amy, as you know, they're giving a handout of the PowerPoint. So it's in about four point size with hardly anywhere to write. I mean, even talking about it, I'm already stressed. <laughs> I just want to say, and one of the speakers last week, uh, they were in a large room. They stood in the darkness to one side. I never saw their face. I just heard this voice speaking, usually not in coordination with the PowerPoint. And I'm thinking, get rid of the PowerPoint, put the lights up, get back on the stage and communicate because my new buzzword for this week, uh, actually this year, is I don't think of myself as a professional speaker. I think we are professional communicators. And I think that's most probably after Zoom when we had to come off stage, we still have to communicate. So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, I, I want to pick on that even more and just talk about the importance of communication from your perspective and what it is that you want to relay. Your work is clearly not done here. I hope not. What do I want to relay? All right. Um, I see this in the speaking business more than I do in dental. Speakers will come up to me and say, Jenny, how do you stay current? And my answer never changes. I said, common sense and logic never goes out of style. And one of the programs I attended a couple of days ago was a speaker in dentistry, had nothing actually to do with dentistry, and was talking about the different, different generations, Generation Y and the millennials and so forth. And she came up with seven categories as each block of years changed. And listening to her, it sounds as if when one meets somebody, one has to decide which of the seven generations they're in and then change your approach so that it's accepted by this group, of which made no sense to me at all. I mean, I, I broke out in hives just thinking about what she was asking me to do. But the one thing I'm really very... Um, strong on these days is communication. And we seem to have a generation that really are not very good communicators. And so people like me who've been around for some time, it's like the three R's, arithmetic, reading, and writing. The basics, Amy, in my opinion, are, are getting lost. They're so techy. Um, and particularly, I see this in the speaking world. Everybody needs to have the latest mic, the latest this. And in dentistry, um, if I go to a, an exhibit, everybody's pushing technical, but nobody is talking about the communication needed with the patient to enhance the technical gizmo that the doctor is buying. So my focus more and more is getting into the communication. So with your communication, and I've, I've got this kind of Venn diagram going on in my head from what you've shared, where there's an overlap between common sense, logic, purpose, creativity, authenticity, and flexibility. And with that, maybe we put the focus in the middle. And the focus on why for all of that is what? 
I just, at the end of the day, I feel that the audience, and let me just go back to dental, the students leaving dental school today are not being exposed to what I perceive are some of the management and communication skills. And we see this with physicians as well. So these kids are leaving medical and dental school with technical background, with no idea how to talk to patients. And um, I have several sayings over the years. Um, I, I, I'm one of the few speakers, I think. Speakers, I think, are, are rather guilty of quoting other people. And I quote myself. I create my own little sayings. I only quote one person, Brian Tracy. He's got this wonderful phrase, don't, don't defend, don't justify. I love it. Don't defend, don't justify. So other than Brian, I don't quote anybody. When I see these kids leaving without any background in communication with the patients, I don't see how the patient is going to appreciate what they are buying in their dental treatment because they really haven't been explained. So there's a saying until a patient, and, and you can use the word people instead of patient, but until a patient buys the problem, they cannot buy the solution. So if we are a speaker or you are a consultant talking to a potential client, th this is a universal. Until the person buying your services appreciates the problems they are currently experiencing and the benefits of what we bring to the table, it will always be too expensive and we won't get the yes. And I think most of us take too long to realize we're so busy solving the problems and this is how much it's going to cost. We have to stand back and listen to what their problems are. And one of my sayings is make them sick, make them well. We have to make our potential client or an audience appreciate and feel the hurt they are currently experiencing. So when I'm on stage and I say, now, those of you who do it this way, and I think we've identified many of you have some major problems, may I give you a solution? They're much more open to my solution now that they've dwelled in the problem. Whereas when Jenny was, was new at the game, I'd walk in and say, guess what? I've got the solution to solve this problem. Inviting them to sit there and say, what does she know? I've been doing it this way for 18 years. It works very well. Thank you very much. And you could actually see the audience almost close up. And then I put a barrier. So it took me a long time to realize that the order was backwards. And talking about the order being backwards, do you feel that you're coming at a later point to to providing this solution to the kids who are leaving school without this uh, ability to speak to their patients is it not possible for you to come in sooner and and educate them at an earlier point in their learning you you you've asked the $64,000 question uh, many years ago actually one of the top schools invited me and i got the dental students in the last quarter of their fourth year and I called my program, everything you're going to need to exist in the real world, but dental school hasn't taught you. The deans today will tell you that A, the students aren't ready for it, which is not true, or B, they don't want it, which is not true, 
or there isn't enough time in the schedule, all of which most probably is true. So the one of my personalities, and, and for the listeners, I cannot overemphasize this, there are two ways we go through life. One is being reactive and one is being proactive. I am definitely from the school of being proactive. You don't put the alarm in the house after the house was burgled. You put the alarm in the house before it's burgled, hoping it will save your house being burgled. So my whole philosophy as an entrepreneur is to be proactive. So yes, the school should make that as part of um, any school in any subject. They should involve the business more. Unfortunately, um, they tend to not take that approach. So maybe we should revise the the school of hard knocks and call it the school of proactive creativity instead. Well, I love it because what you've done is you've taken two concepts. One is creative creating and then making it proactive. Um, so marrying the two together, hopefully that the train will leave the station and um, speed up to the destination. I love it. It's fabulous. Honestly, I could speak with you for ages, Jenny. It really there's so much here. How could people get in contact with you? What's the best way for them to reach out? All right. So uh, thank you for that invite. And I've been thinking about it. And I'm now going to utter the phrase that every single speaker in the entire world says, my website is just being updated, which is 100% true. I had two websites. My main one is jdsg.com, my initials, Jennifer D. St. George. So it's J dsg.com and i have a second one which i won't bother telling you because it's being merged bottom line because of search engine optimization i have been made to acknowledge putting my two markets on one website and i understand that but i'm now frozen in how to design the home page so that anybody who would be interested in tapping into my creativity while you are welcome to go to jdsg.com and you can see how I write copy, and if and I love to write. And if I could just make one comment, Amy, entrepreneurs and speakers must learn to write, and they must learn to write their own copy. I can, when I look at a website or I read a marketing piece, I can within a second or two know was this written by the creator or was it written by a third-party marketer. And if we can't write passionately about our own stuff then I don't think we should be doing it. So you are welcome to, to look at how I write copy for my programs. It's very detailed. It's very bullet-oriented. Four ways to do this, three mistakes to avoid. Each bullet in my programs always starts with an active verb. So there's, there's a real logic they can learn from that. Every program I've ever designed always has two parts to the title. One part is for the left brain and one part for the right brain. And so this might be of great help to your listeners. So if you look at a program on asking patients to pay, I call it communicating financially with patients, dot, 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 how to ask for money, collect it, and still feel comfortable. Now, most people are either introverted or extroverted, I'm an ambivert, and I think less than 10% in the world are ambiverts. So I don't know whether the reader is going to be left brain or right brain. 
So communicating financially with your patients is left brain. Very specific is what the focus is, dot, dot, dot. How to ask for money, collect it, and still feel comfortable. That is right brain. Feeling comfortable, that's emotion. So we buy, so I'm told by the experts, we buy 95% with our right brain, we buy 95% emotional, and then we justify it with 5% of, of the product knowledge or statistics. So they certainly are welcome to look at the uh, website to see how my brain works. But I was thinking about and anticipating your question. So what I would suggest is my email is Jenny, J-E-N-N-Y at J-D-S-G.com. And if they were interested to tap into my creativity and problem solving, and I can create uh, taglines and all sorts of things in literally seconds, I would be happy as uh, to your listeners, Amy, if they would put in the subject line, Amy's podcast, I would be happy to schedule 12 minutes of complimentary just Q&As. You can pick my brains for 12 minutes. And then if you've got enough, that was a gift. And if you want to book more time with me, then we take it from there. I think that would be the most practical. I love I love that it's 12 minutes. That's just so spot on and precise. So what a generous <laughs> offer. And it'd be interesting to see if anyone takes you up on your very, very kind offer. So thank you so much. Jenny, it has been an absolute privilege hearing your some of your journey. I know there are you've got many stories, but it's been really lovely to have a snapshot of why you do what you do and why you are who you are. So thank you for sharing that. I did forget passion in, in our Venn diagram. I should have put that in there as well, because I think that's probably the overriding everything, the reason for what you're doing. It really is. Have you got some final words for the audience, please? I think most probably, and boy, am I guilty of this. And, and let me just take a second. As a perfectionist, I have been guilty of making lists. Now, if I'm on stage, I will say, how many of you make lists for what I'm going to do today or tomorrow or whatever? You usually have an audience, the majority of whom make lists. And I say, how many of you, when you do something that was not on the list, have a need to write the thing on the list so you can then check it off that you've done it? I mean, this is sickness personified and everybody puts their hand up. So I have been guilty for too many years of making lists. And the new Jenny says, get rid of the damn list and just do it. And so it's sort of like Nike. Was it Nike who said, just do it? I definitely have spent some time in the last couple of weeks of literally getting rid of all my lists, taking my planner, which used to be really thick because I'm a visual person. I, I can't keep a diary on, on the computer. I need to see it in my hand and reducing it. And the other thing I would urge everybody, and boy, have I been guilty of this. When you write today's list, we end up by putting everything but the kitchen sink on today's list. And then when we get at the end of the day, instead of saying, oh, look at the five things I did that were important, we just berate ourselves for all the things we didn't do that we then rewrite to another day. 
And, and this is just wasting time and being unfocused. So in my new system, I write number one to number eight. And then I sort of have a side place that if I have time, I will catch up on it. But I have got to train myself to go down the list. Now, to those of listeners who do this routinely and you think, Jenny, you, you're just waking up to that. I appreciate you're way ahead of me. But for those of us who are creative, Amy, it is so easy to get sidetracked because we cannot turn our brain off. And, you know, we can multitask to a level that is is unhealthy. So so the answer to your question is become focused. I will say I am stopping multitasking. I am taking more quality time and I'm doing it more slowly to complete something that day. I've had a habit of I'd start something and think, oh, I'll finish it tomorrow. And then I start something else. And then I have like five things that are in a halfway stage. So the new Jenny says, you're not allowed to do number two until you've finished number one. So I think my takeaway, if I've given you some practical thoughts, is to just be focused and do it. How has this conversation had an impact on you? What value have you received from tuning in? What are your reflections with actions? Please take a moment to leave me an Apple podcast or Spotify review sharing how Focus on Why has made a difference to you today. Remember, the conversation doesn't end here. To keep it going, simply connect with me on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook or Twitter or join the Focus on Why Facebook group. All the links are in the show notes. Have a purpose, have a plan, focus on why.